We continue today in our series in the book of Genesis, and we're looking at the life of Joseph. And we're turning to a famous passage today, uh, chapter 39, about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Uh, We're going to read verses 1 through 12. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ish- bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of, of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in the house, or he has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put me in charge of everything. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife." How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, we learn in Genesis 37 uh, that Joseph was sold into slavery, taken into Egypt, and eventually sold to a captain in Pharaoh's guard named Potiphar. And we don't know how long Joseph has been in Potiphar's house, um, but we know this. It's been a long enough time that he has proven his abilities and his character uh, so much so, and, and, and God's favor was so clearly upon him that Potiphar put him in charge of everything in his household. Ultimately, in this passage and the theology of the life of Joseph, the the main theme that I see is this, is the Lord was with Joseph. Uh, That's repeated five times in the account of Joseph by the narrator, and it's it's in twice in our passage today, in verse 2 and also in verse 21. The Lord was with Joseph. And so the main idea today is the Lord was with Joseph in both success and in suffering. In verse 21, it says this in a part of the passage we didn't read. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prisoner. So Joseph has God's covenantal, that word steadfast love in the Hebrew, it's hesed, and it means his covenantal faithfulness. 
the covenant that God made with Abraham, he made also to Isaac, he made also to Jacob, and he, now he is bringing the Isaac for, or through forward, the, the covenant forward through the person of Joseph, and God is faithful to him. God is with him, and God is blessing him. And this could preach really well in prosperity circles if it weren't for the fact that all of the success he was having and all the blessing that he was having was coming in the midst of great suffering, was it not? It's happening, yes, he, he is successful. God's favor is upon him, but it's happening in the midst of slavery and it's happening later in the midst of prison. And so all of Joseph's success was happening while he's also experiencing great suffering. Thrown into a pit, left dead by his brothers. Sold into slavery. Falsely accused. Imprisoned. And yet, the Lord was with him. His circumstances were incredibly difficult. And yet, the Lord was with him. The Bible shows us time and time again, over and over and over, that difficult circumstances in our life should not be interpreted in our hearts that God is not with us, but we often do that. When we're going through difficulty, we're going through trial, when, when circumstances are difficult, we often interpret, the Lord is not indeed with me, but that's not necessarily the message. In fact, uh, the servant of God, Joseph. And many people have noted that how unique Joseph is in the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, for his righteousness and his character. There's really hardly anything bad to find about Joseph. And if you've, we've been studying, if you've been tracking along with us in the book of Genesis, all the other patriarchs have major flaws. Uh, the only thing we can argue about uh, with Joseph up to this point is the fact that he got a little uppity about the dreams and the, the, the awesome coat that he had. God was with Joseph in the pit. God was in, with Joseph in the palace. He went from the pit, right, to the palace. This will preach. And... And then God was with Joseph in the prison. Later, we will see. Now, Joseph, you may remember, was Rachel's son. And, and what do you remember about Rachel? Well, she was beautiful. Her sister had weak eyes, it says. <laughs> but Rachel was beautiful, and her son is very handsome, too. And we don't know Potiphar's wife's name. We don't really know anything about her. But we know that she lusted after Joseph and was persistent in her, his pursuit of him, repeatedly saying, in, in Hebrew, it's just two words, and it's, lie with me. She's very clear in what she wants. And as persistent as Potiphar's wife was in trying to seduce Joseph, he was equally persistent in refusing uh, her advances. He refused her, saying, your husband has put me in charge of everything. He literally doesn't have to worry about anything uh, because of me. And he has given me permission uh, to have everything in the house except you. Because if you remember, you're his wife. And then he goes on to say he's, he's faithful to Potiphar. He respects Potiphar. He's faithful to him and he's faithful to God. He, he says, how can I do this great wicked thing against God? And his point is, he can't, and he won't. 
Verse 10 says that she persisted in trying to seduce him day by day, which means uh, day after day after day, and for a very long time, she persists. And yet he refuses to not only lie with her, but to, to not even be with her in the same room. He doesn't rationalize. He doesn't say, well, your husband is never around, or, uh, well, who would blame me? You've been after me for months. He doesn't rationalize at all. And so many infidelities, if, if you've noticed and seen, perhaps in your own life or someone you know or love, they begin with rationalizations, whether it's an emotional affair or a physical affair. It begins with a rationalization. My emotional needs are not getting met. His emotional needs are not getting met. Her emotional needs are not getting met. Uh, their marriage is over anyway. God doesn't mean for me to be unhappy and so forth. And so these things, infidelities, they begin by rationalization. Joseph makes no excuses. He says, this would be a great sin against God. But you know the story. We all know the story really well. She finally gets to a place where she's like, I'm going to advance this. <laughs> and she, she rips his cloak off of him. And this puts him in a horrible bind. He can lie with her and remain in this position of power and comfort. Or he can refuse her one last time and lose everything he'd gained. And think about this. You know, he had lost everything, right? I mean, he, he had his family. His brothers sold him into slavery, leaving him to die in a pit. He then has this experience. A, a long time has passed by. If this were a movie, you'd get a sense of, like, what has happened over time. He has suffered and suffered and suffered. But now, now he's in a great place. He is in a palace, and he's second in command. Everything's good. And so he has this opportunity. He can give in to her demands and keep that power and that prestige and that privilege and everything that goes with it. Or he can do the righteous thing and suffer and lose all that he'd gained. If he doesn't give in to her, she'll cry out and accuse him of being inappropriate and undressing in front of her. But he fled. And... Whenever I, I preach a sermon that I've preached many times or looked at a passage that I've looked at many times or that is like the ones that are well-worn, like this one, it's so well-worn, I try to, to ask myself, you know, and to say, like, I need to have fresh eyes on this text and not just say, like, I know this like the back of my hand, even though I kind of do. And every sermon I've ever heard on this passage, including my own sermons on this passage in the past, have always quickly gone to the idea that the reason why he fled was that he was being so sexually tempted. But with fresh eyes this week, as I looked at this passage, what I kind of saw is there's no clear evidence that he was being tempted by her. You know, not every man is tempted by every woman. And, and, and I, I know why we jump to the conclusion that, of course, this was a, an issue of sexual temptation, because that is so common to man, right? We understand that. But the narrator never says that he was tempted by her advances. In fact, it says over and again that he refused her advances that he does not give in. Now, we do know for sure this. What the narrator makes very clear is that he is a righteous man. And, and there are few righteous men in, in, in the first few chapters of Genesis as we've studied. But he is a righteous man who is continually being harassed by a person of power who's over him. And when he refuses her, he's falsely accused and he's imprisoned unjustly. That's what we know. 
Now, Joseph may or may not have been tempted by her seduction, but this is still a story of temptation. It is. He may or may not have been tempted by her seduction, but this is a story of temptation. Because the moment she grabbed his cloak, that's where the temptation would have been. He's refused her and refused her. And it's this. He had lost everything. Now he's in a place of leadership, power, and comfort. And will he do the righteous thing and choose to suffer for it? Or will he be tempted to just go ahead and give in to her seduction and keep everything that he'd had? In a snap decision, Joseph chooses righteousness over comfort. And he, he chooses, he chooses um, prison over power. Now... I want to I spend the rest of our time talking about how to fight temptation. And the first thing that we need to see, and if we're going to fight temptation in our life, because every single person in this room is tempted, the thing that we need to see is that temptation is a fight for desire. Temptation is all about desire. I'm not tempted by anything that I don't want. I hate deviled eggs, and I just always have. Uh, I, my stepmom forced me to eat one uh, on July 4th, like 1978. I can remember it like it's yesterday. And I've never enjoyed one since. Like, you don't tempt me with that, but uh, you can tempt me with in and out double-doubles all day long. Because I like them. I desire them. I want them. And I'm not saying they're evil. They're glorious. They're, they're God's good design. And that's the other thing. So, Anyway. So temptation begins with the desire, normally, almost always, not always, but most often, uh, for a desire for a good thing, actually. But when our hearts turn it into an over-desire and make it an ultimate thing, most of the things we're tempted by, there's actually a, a good desire behind, or even the thing that you desire is good, but we've twisted it into something that is not good, because sin is a violation against God's will for us, what God has deemed is good and what is not good for us. Let me, let me give you an example from the text today, which because she is trying to seduce him. Sex is a gift from God. And because we have so twisted it and perverted it in our own hearts and lives, and the world has, Sometimes the church only speaks about it in terms that makes it seem like it's evil. And it's something to avoid, to avoid, to avoid. And yet, and it is and outside of God's will, but it is a beautiful gift from God. And to desire marriage and sexual intimacy is a good thing when it's in the context of a marriage between a man and a woman as God has designed and beautifully given us. And so that desire... Desire for sexual intimacy is not wrong. It's a gift from God. But the problem is when we have perverted it and made it an over-desire and basically have said, I have to have this desire met so badly and it's so core to me that I should be able to fulfill that desire in any way that I personally see fit. And that's where the temptation comes in. It begins with the desire for something good. That God has created as the good and, and part of the beautiful and the true, and yet our hearts long for it in such a way that it's an over-desire, and it becomes an ultimate desire and an idol. Temptation is the knock on the door. 
that begins with a desire for something, and then and we're being tempted to long or desire something that is outside of God's will. It's the knock on the door. It's the walk around the house to see if anybody's home. We're tempted in those moments to believe something is good for us that God has said is not good for us. It feels like God is holding out on us, though, when, when tempted. If we're, if we're honest, that's what we're believing. In the garden, the serpent attacked Adam and Eve by implying that God was withholding the good from them, right? Has God actually said to you if you will eat of it you'll you'll know good and evil you'll be free you'll be like God you'll be God yourself you will not surely die the first step in fighting temptation of any manner any kind is to realize that God is not withholding the good from you that God loves you, that God has designed you, and that his will for us is good. The first step is to realize that God is not withholding the good and is instead inviting us to greater pleasure and greater joy than what the temptation itself is offering. C.S. Lewis is, is famous for a, a sermon that he, he preached called The Weight of Glory. There is a book written by the same title that it's just... Weight of Glory is one chapter in the book. They're actually sermons and lectures that he gave. And he said this, and you've probably heard it before, but if in, indeed, he said, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, he said, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because he or she cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. It would be like if there was a child, and this could never happen, that had never heard of Disney World or Disneyland. Like, they, they had no clue of what that was. And they're playing some dumb little video game. They've been playing all day, every day, and they've never gotten out of the house. And you came and you said, I want to take you today to Disneyland. And they were like, I have no vision for what that is. I just want to sit here and play this dumb little game that I've been playing my whole life. That's what he's saying. A holiday at the sea, by the way. That means like a vacation of the ocean, right? <laughs> Instead, you'd rather sit in the slums making mud pies because you have no vision for how great it would be to get out and go to the ocean. How beautiful the, the wind in your face and the sun and the smell of the ocean and, and the joy of being in nature. You'd rather just sit. We're far too easily pleased. And this is Lewis's point. Our problem in temptation is not that we have too much desire, it's that we have far too little desire and, and far too little desire in the right direction for the right object, which is God himself. The next thing that I want us to see is that you are not alone in temptation. Everyone in this room battles temptation. Everyone in this room has the flesh. We have, a fallen, we have a heart that is being redeemed by Christ and yet is still uh, has aspects of fallenness and, and wrong desires. 
So you're not alone. Just in this community of believers, you're not alone. We are all fellow travelers in this road. But there's other ways in which you are not alone. Because Jesus himself, who was fully God and fully man, was tempted. And he sympathizes and can comfort us and aid us and give us power when tempted because he was tempted in all manner of things and yet with what? Without what? Without sin. The Lord is with you. He's, he has not left us alone. You're not alone. Jesus rose from the dead and has given us his spirit. And so once again, we are not alone. We, are, we have a Savior and Lord that knew what it is to be tempted and was attacked by the devil himself when fasting. We also know that we have a Savior and Lord who has sent his Holy Spirit to comfort us and to be with us and to empower us and strengthen us. A famous passage on the issue of temptation is 1 Corinthians 10, and it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So many times the enemy and tells us a lie and we believe it. Like, I can't talk to anyone about this because I'm literally the only person in the world that is dealing with this. And maybe you think, well, I'm not the only person in the world, but I'm the only person at New Valley Church that's dealing with this. Or I'm the only person in this small group of men or women that I'm in that is dealing with this. Or I'm the only person in my family that's dealing with this. But I, as a pastor, I can tell you, I have heard very few things that are utterly unique. (laughs) Almost everything anyone has ever come to me with in terms of trial, trial, temptation, struggle, I can say, well, that's not the first time I've heard that. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, though, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Everything we're tempted by is common to others. Paul is saying there's a way of escape through his spirit. You aren't alone. And one of the greatest ways to escape the snare of temptation is to tell another human being. I've said this many times. This is so true. If you are living in temptation or maybe you're way beyond temptation and you're actually caught, will you tell someone? I had a dear friend call me about five years ago and just say, I am caught in something and I have to share it with somebody. And he is now free from that. He is free. But it began with a phone call to say, I'm not just tempted right now, dude. I am caught and it's about to get worse. I'm ensnared. And it was just in the power of telling another brother in Christ that he knew he could trust to not leave him out to hang, <laughs> that I would help him, that, that he became free. There's no, and there was no unique power in me, by the way. It's not because he came to me. It was because he came to just another brother in Christ who loved him. That is one of the greatest ways to untangle yourself, is to actually talk to someone. It's amazing. As soon as you bring something that's hidden into the light, that it begins to fade and it begins to die. You're not alone. You're not alone. And there is a way of escape. The next way seems like an overly spiritual way, but it's so true. And yet I fear it's the one thing that perhaps very few of us are doing. 
And I want to call you to it, church, and myself as well. And it's to this, to guard your heart and your mind with God's word and with prayer. And of course, this is a Sunday school answer. This is the obvious answer. This is the thing that if we go over there in our classrooms right now and say, how should we battle temptation, kids? They're going to say, Jesus. And then they're going to say the Bible, right? And, and, and they would be exactly right. But here's the thing. It's the one resource, perhaps, that we go to the least in our day and age, I believe. God's word and prayer, these means of grace, we are so overtaken <laughs> with entertainment and pleasure and, and, and the, our technical life of being inundated with information through our phones and everything that I, I fear that we spend far, far too little time in God's word, which there is power in, in prayer, which the Spirit meets us in. When Jesus began his ministry, you know this, the Lord sent him in the desert. He fasted for 40 days, and it says Satan attacked him there. And the way that he fought the temptation was beautiful because he kept referring to Scripture. He kept saying, uh, it is written. Every time the devil came to him, he was tempting him with good things. It's not wrong for him to eat. But he'd say, like, make these stones bread. And, and, and he said, he, he fought him with truth, with the word of God. Every temptation that we receive is a lie, and we have to battle it with what is true. This lust will comfort you, we are lied by, lied to about. This affair will bring you life. This flirtatious relationship will make you feel better about yourself. This gallon of moose tracks will bring you everlasting life. Those are all lies. And we have to battle it with truth, whether you be tempted by something very small like ice cream or something big that could take down your life and your marriage or, or, or just your relationship with God. We are so given over to our own <laughs> temptations at times. I fear for his church that we're not just being tempted, we're, we're trapped, we're ensnared. The pervasive nature of pornography, not just in that which we seek, but which just comes at us daily from places we're not even looking for, is so enormous, friends. I fear that we're not just tempted, that we are at times trapped. Jesus keeps saying it is written. He fights lies with truth. But how can you know the truth if you're not engaging with the truth, brothers and sisters, with God's word itself? There has to get a time in your life when you say, I'm no longer just going to come and listen to somebody tell me about Scripture. I'm actually going to open it for myself or, or hit play on my, on my app and listen to it or meditate it on myself, for myself. And there's such power and strength in that. We guard our hearts to the word because we meet God in the word. Don't go to the Bible just in order to find out more information about God. It is in scripture that we will meet God. I'm not saying you don't yet know him. I'm saying you must know him more. The reason I believe Joseph was so strong in not giving in to the temptation was he knew Potiphar and loved him and he knew God and he loved him. He had a greater desire for God than he did for Pharaoh's, or excuse me, Potiphar's wife. 
Jesus battled temptation with God's word and, and with prayer. He said in Luke 22, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into what? Temptation. Jesus battled temptation with God's word and with prayer, and these two means of grace go together. And the only way that I pray well is with Scripture because my mind wanders like crazy. I mean, I can stop and pray for you or pray for friends or my family, but like to really get into prayer where I am engaging with God in a personal way and not just heal my friends and, and make things good is through God's word prayerfully meditating on God's word. The best way to pray is over a portion of scripture is you open up God's word to read it and not just study it, but to say, what are you saying in this text which is true for everyone and what are you meaning to say to me, O Lord? To come to know God, to, to see how beautiful he is, to love him more. To know God, this is what God is calling us to, brothers and sisters. It's not simply to be denying sin in your life, but to know God. The way to deny sin, the way to overcome temptation is to know the living God. And that happens through meditating on Scripture, meeting the Lord in prayer, because it is there that the Holy Spirit meets us. The last thing, and of course we have to talk about it, because of this great text of fleeing, right? He fled temptation. Sinful and fallen habits and desires grow in strength through exposure. And what's interesting is as we study the brain, this is true in neuroscience as well. When you are addicted to something, whether it's posting on Instagram because of the likes that you get and what it says about your self-esteem, you get a dopamine hit from that. And there, there's an addiction in that, is there not? If your idol is your own looks and what people think about your appearance and the things that people say about you online, then you can be as addicted to that as pornography almost is because there's a dopamine hit. And when you look at pornography, there is a dopamine hit that is enormous. And what happens is the brain is creating neural pathways uh, of pleasure, and the way to create new neural pathways, and what's awesome, the way God has created our brains is you can change the neural pathways in your brain by denying yourself and creating new neural pathways for pleasure and desire. It's slow, but it works, and this is how God has created us. One of the ways you have to do is starve your desires. The more you feed your desires that are sinful and broken and fallen, the more, the more addicted we become and the more ensnared and enslaved we become. But you have to starve a deadly desire. You have to cut off a deadly desire. You have to kill it. You have to flee it. There's no compromise with it. I had a, a brother tell me a, a couple years ago that he literally left a job over desire in something he was being tempted by. And he's like, I'd rather live and keep my marriage and be healthy uh, than give in to this. If your temptation is with lust, you have to cut it out. You have to starve it. You have to flee from it. Divert your eyes, of course. Removing tempting apps. apps. Talk to others Talk to other brothers and sisters. The way of escape is through relationship, through friendship, through repentance, 
through, through opening up and bringing this into light. We have a group available for this, brothers who are, who are ready to uh, walk with you in honesty and, and transparency and, and accountability. If your temptation is a relationship with someone who isn't your spouse, I'm just giving a few examples, you can't, you can't cozy up to that. You, you have to cut it off. You have to flee. You can't just be friends. You should probably delete social media or the, the means of communication. You have to flee. You have to cut it off. And ultimately, the power to overcome any temptation is through knowing the love of God and knowing God more and more. In a snap decision, does your heart ever say, how could I do this against the God that I love, just as Joseph did? In a snap decision, he had only an instant to decide. She snatched his cloak and he fled immediately. How could I do this against the God I love? Joseph knew the Lord loved him. And he walked in righteousness. But there is one there's a greater Joseph, of course, the one that Joseph is pointing to, which is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. One like Joseph, who also was a sinner like you and me, never, ever, ever, ever gave in to temptation. He was always faithful to his father. And the thing that I want to point us to as we close is this. The gospel tells us something unbelievable, that your sins are utterly and completely forgiven. Romans 8 is this unbelievable chapter to turn to as you open up scripture and meditate on it that there is no condemnation left for anyone that is in Christ Jesus. Not even a a little amount. And of course, as you read and study the gospel and you hear the magnificent nature of the grace of God towards us in Jesus that there is no condemnation in Christ you, you might think, well, then that's all just going to make us more sinful because we love to sin and he loves to forgive. And so what a perfect relationship. I'll keep on sinning so that he can keep on forgiving. And we're all just going to be really doing our jobs well here. And that's <laughs> not what is meant. And Paul even brings that up. Should I sin so that grace may increase? And he says, no, of course not. May that never be. The way out of sin is not simply to make yourself feel more guilty. Believe it or not, the way towards more holiness is to get greater desire for God. And the way you get greater desire for God is to see how beautiful the goodness of God is towards you in Jesus Christ. That there is no condemnation in Jesus, but there's condemnation in sin. Did you know that? Not only It will kill you if you're ensnared and enslaved in it. But not only that, as a believer, you live with so much shame and guilt. It destroys, it lies, it steals, just like the the evil one does. But the gospel never does. Jesus always brings good things and beauty and forgiveness and love and freedom and power and dignity. And the enemy, well, he's a liar. The more our hearts are filled with the grace of God to us in Jesus, the more we learn to trust him and love him and obey him. If you're caught in sin, you have a desire problem. You're believing 
that the thing you desire is greater than Jesus. And I promise you, it's not greater. It's not more beautiful. It's not better. It's death. But Jesus is life. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we pray that you would enable us to cling to what we've learned in Scripture today, that there really is a way of escape. And so often we feel so ensnared and hopeless and filled with shame, and there's no way we can overcome the things that we've been entrapped in. But, Father, would you give us good hope today that there is a way of escape and that, that the way of escape is you. It's Jesus. It is your son. He is the way of escape. And even when we are powerless to overcome that which tempts us or that we're addicted to, oh, Lord, would you help us to see that the power is in you, not just our self-determination or will, but the power is in you. You are our strength and our power to overcome that which tempts us. Help us to see how beautiful and lovely and powerful you are. In Jesus' name, amen.